Father, we worship you tonight and give you praise. For you are worthy of all that we have, everything that we have, Father, everything that we have, we've done, everything we're going to do, Father, you're worthy of it all. We do it as a, as a praise offering to you, Father. Our work, our daily work, our daily lives, Father, needs to reflect you. And God, we give you glory in it tonight. So let's praise him and magnify him. Father, we welcome you in this place. We welcome your presence in this place. Father, we thank you that you are always there for us. You never leave us and nor forsake us. And as we worship you tonight, Father, I pray that your spirit would be in here with us. As we praise you tonight, I pray that, God, that your presence would just fill this place. It'd be an undeniable event of you being here habitation of your presence when we walk out this door tonight there will be no doubt that you was here we will be able to walk out the door and say father you are here lay it down and every lie and every doubt this is my surrender
our mission tonight is to let our hearts be open to you. What you're speaking, that we would have open ears to hear. That you'd open our minds to understand the words that you speak to us and the revelations that you give us. But Holy Spirit, let our hearts be open and tender to your moving and your working. That there would be nothing in the way, nothing that hinders from what you want to do. That there wouldn't be not one part of us that we would hold back from you. Not just things that that tempt our fleshly desires. But Lord, let us not hold back pain. Let us not hold back hurt. Lord, why would we hold back the problems that only you can fix? When we keep those wounds inside and we don't let the surgeon get to them, they just begin to fester even longer and the infection gets deeper. And eventually, if we don't let the surgeon look at it and do what he needs to do, it can corrupt the entire body or the entire spirit. But if we let the one who knows how to fix it look at what needs to be fixed and allow him and trust him to put his hands on it and to touch it and to move and to treat it the way he needs to treat it, that's where we find resolve. That's the solution to our problem. The more we keep it hidden from him, the longer it festers and the more pain it causes. And it begins to affect more and more areas of our life because we let it take root and now that infection is spreading and affecting other areas. But if the surgeon and the healer, Jehovah Rapha, if we let him look at it, if we give it to him and say, here, I trust you, I trust you with my pain. I trust you with my hurt. Would you do what only you can do? I leave it open to you. I'm not covering it up anymore. I'm not holding it back anymore. Here it is, Lord. You can have it. Do what you want. Have your will and your way, Yahweh. His way is better. His plan is greater. His thoughts for me are good. So I'm surrendering my wounds, my hurts, my pains, my doubts, my concerns, my worries, my fears. I'm surrendering to him, them to him because I know that he has the better plan and the better option. He is the solution. Jesus is the solution. So why would I keep it from him when he's the only one who can fix it? Leave my heart open, open to you. I'm holding back nothing, nothing from you. Have it all, have it all. 
singing that last part right there I had a childhood memory of going to my grandparents on my dad's side and they lived in New Hampshire and had a little three room shotgun house up on a hill and uh, the main room in the house was the kitchen <laughs> and uh, my grandmother had one of those pictures on the wall where's Jesus knocking on the door you know you know which one I'm talking about right and um, you know it learned later that if you look closely there's no doorknob on the side where Jesus is because he's waiting for you to open the door he says I stand at the door and knock if anybody will open it I will come into him and sup with him and as we were just singing that part here I am you can have it all. I saw that picture. Now you have to understand that was just a very long time ago in this little boy's mind. And I saw that picture and I saw like the person opening the door and saying, here I am. You can have it all. Come on in. You can have it all, Jesus. I welcome you in maybe not mean much to you but boy it brought back a childhood memory that I had forgotten about 60 plus years and uh, Lord we, we just open the door to our hearts and our lives today we do it every day but we, we do it tonight again and we say Lord come in come Holy Spirit and speak do what you want to do in this place. God, we have no agenda but you. And so we say, here we are. You can have it all. We hold nothing back, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence at a time like this. As brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
We got a prayer request right before church to pray for Sam, that he was headed to the hospital. He's had a pain on his right side for over a week, and it was headed for the hospital, and he asked for prayer. So I want us to pray for him. Is there anyone else? Prayer, prayer request, prayer need. Anyone? Can, then let's take a minute and just pray for Sam right now. And um, Father, we just lift our brother before you. You are the healer. You are the one who created us. You know where every part goes, how it's supposed to function. And Father, we didn't know he was in pain. And now he's gone to the doctors. And we're thankful for the medical those in the medical field we thank you for them but God you're the great physician and we just pray right now that God you would touch his body physical healing would be released right now in every part of his body that's needing a touch every, every part be brought into perfect alignment every, every muscle every joint every tendon every nerve be brought into perfect alignment and let them be healed. And we thank you, Father, for we ask it simply in the name of Jesus. And you said if we would ask, it would be done. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody have a testimony you want to share tonight? Some, a praise report, something God's done for you something the Lord spoke to you and blessed you about or whatever give you an opportunity look nobody was that almost oh <laughs> alright then praise God you can be seated <laughs> Well, I praise God for the rain. How many of you remember Sunday at the end of the prayer time, we had prayed for those and you know suffering through the catastrophes of things going on and all, and then we prayed for rain, and and I just I remember saying, Lord, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain, like like demanding, let it rain, you know, and then. Monday night, we're sitting there, and my wife goes, is that rain? And I'm like, where? You know, but she heard the little pitter-patter on the roof, and she took off out the front door, and evidently a lot of other people did too. And, uh, um, and, and after a little while, it stopped, and then she heard it again. She took off running again. She said, it is raining. I said, I believe you. I've seen rain before, you know. But she, went, she ran out the front door. How many of you ran to see the rain? Yeah, but hey, I came out the next morning and my big pecan tree at the end of my driveway broke right in the center, came crashing down, and I just said it was so shocked to feel raindrops on his sleeves that it shook it and fell and snapped right in half. And um, but uh, I thank God for that. I mean, we prayed and He brought the rain and. And um, uh, two days in a row brought some rain. In fact, three days, actually. I drove yesterday to Costco, and it was raining over there. 
drove up the road and it wasn't raining at all. And I went back to Costco and I said, my car was dirty. I said, I needed some more. You go one day. Well, and, and I, have, I have a friend who's fighting some of the wildfires in, uh, up in the northeast part of the state. And they had rain. He, he took a picture of that, uh, an aerial view of the area that was on fire. And then all of a sudden a cloud, big cloud came and released rain. And within an hour and a half, they showed how much was on fire. And it had been reduced like 75%. And they had been battling through the nights with bulldozers and everything else. And he said, don't tell me there's not a God who hears prayer. And I was like, amen for that. And so, anyway, um, we just finished a series on Wednesday night about uh, uh, the four levels of spiritual growth. And I felt as I was finishing that up, I wanted to go into this for the next few weeks on Wednesday night. And um, it's simply titling it Exercising Discernment. Exercising Discernment. I want to take a few weeks to do that. And the reason is because there's, it, this is a strange time in which we're living. And um, there are so many, I just, I'm just going to say foolish doctrines or teachings that are floating around in the church world today. Um, and uh, um, that it, it's, it's setting people up in the church and in the world. The world's already deceived, but they're setting people up in the church to be deceived. And Jesus warned that of all the signs in the last days, the one thing Jesus repeated over and over and over was about deception in the last days. Um, we have people who are claiming uh, angels releasing, appearing to them and releasing money and position to them. Um, uh, preachers who are saying that angels are showing up and helping them heal the sick. And um, there's just so much other stuff that I don't even want to talk about it. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And um, so my purpose is simply, let's, let's look and see what the Bible talks about as far as discernment. Uh, and, and I'm just going to say at the, at the outset, and I may say it again some, at some other point, um, um, I, I've had people come to me and say, well, I have the gift of discernment. That's not a biblical gift. Um, the Bible says that there's the discerning of spirits, um, but that's not the gift of discernment. We are all called to have discernment. And uh, so that's where I want to come from, from that avenue. Um, my, pers my, I, my intention is not to um, dra uh, dramatize things by naming names, which I could do. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to simply limit myself to outlining general principles that we can grow from. Now, this is not something that I would teach on a Sunday morning, simply because we have people from all different depths of their spiritual walk. And I understand on Wednesday night we do too. But usually more people who come during the week have a little bit of depth or more of depth in the Word of God. And so that's why I'm going to, I want to teach on this. Um, what is discernment? I mean, if you look up the definition in the dictionary, it's the act of or process of exhibiting keen insight and good judgment. But 
spiritually, biblically, to a Christian, it is to identify the true nature of a spirit, of a doctrine or teaching or practice along those lines. It's also to distinguish truth from error. And, and I'm going to say even extreme error from slight error. Which one do you think is more dangerous, extreme error or slight error? Slight, yeah, because it's, it could slide right under the radar. I mean, it's, it's so close. And you've heard me say it. If you haven't, you've heard, you'll hear it tonight. But the devil will tell you 99 truths if he can float one lie that will, will, that will, that will hook you and condemn you. I mean, you know, and deceive you. So um, we want to distinguish truth from error. And the last thing is to distinguish the divine from the human and demonic. And that's and 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 there we can discern that from from having developing discernment in our life, but that's really what the gift of discerning of spirits is. That is the diff, is it is the spiritual gift of God to discern between the divine, human, and demonic uh, influence, and 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 that's that's like to another level. For example, we can all pray for the sick, right? Okay, two people say you're right. Okay, the rest of you are not sure. We can all pray for the sick according to the word, right? And, and God can heal. And he tells us to do that. But then there are gifts of healings and there are gifts of miracles. So it's, it's like that it's, it's the same thing except God takes it and puts it almost like on steroids. It's to another level. So discerning of, uh, of spirits is discernment of between the divine spirit of God, human spirit, and demonic. But we can have discernment too concerning that. And, and, and uh, so I'm just pointing that out. I want, there's two words that are used for discernment. The first one is, is the word that means to examine or judge closely. Okay? The other word means to separate out, to investigate, to examine. So they're, they're similar, and yet they're, they're, one of them is to examine or judge closely. You get the picture of looking closely, looking at it, looking at it, examining, almost like under a microscope kind of thing or a magnifying glass. The other one is to separate out, to investigate. So sometimes there's discernment. It's like, have you ever had a time when you sit there and go, something doesn't feel right, something doesn't set right, but you can't figure out what it is, and, and, and it's through prayer and the word and maybe some investigation that that discernment may, is made clear, okay? Um, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 22, it says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. I'm reading from the new ASB on this. It says, hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. I, I, want, I want you to look at that. It says, do not quench the spirit. And now here's what happens so many times in church. When the spirit of God begins to move, and, and we see the gifts of the Spirit in operation, and people begin to step out as the Holy Spirit leads them, which we want to encourage that, right? Um, 
but they're so worried that they'll make a mistake or do something wrong or be corrected or get out of order that they won't do anything. And so Paul begins by writing to the believers here. He says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances. So he's, he's if I could say it, he's, he's starting on the side of, yes, go after God, okay? But, he, but then he says, but it, examine everything carefully. So remember in the Corinthian church, Paul rebuked him. He said, because you're sitting around boasting about your gifts, and yet you're not caring about those among you who don't have anything. He says, you've got open sin in, in the church, you, you know, um, and, and you're, not, you're not correcting it. You're, and you boast that you're spiritually, you know. So he was saying, you know, you, you need to judge those things. And he was trying to set that house or that church in order. So he says here, he says, but examine everything carefully. That's that investigate, examine, judge closely. And then he says, hold fast to the good, but abstain from the evil or abstain from that which is wrong. And so there's a time, it, John Wimber used to say it this way. He said, when I eat chicken, I spit out the bones. He said, you know, he said, somebody says, well, I'm afraid that's going to be, you know, it'll get too wild or that'll be too weird or whatever. He said, look, he said, if somebody gets out of order, that's what correction's for. That's what biblical correction's for. And it's to be done in love in such a way. So he's saying here, he said, don't quench the spirit, don't quench prophetic utterances, but examine everything. When you examine it, if you find something that's not right, he said, discard that. Throw it away. About hold on to the good part, you know? Because why? Because we're all human. We all are human. There's not a perfect person in here. And look at the person across the aisle from you or next to you and go, he's talking to you. <laughs> You're not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. So we're all, gonna, we're all susceptible to error. We're all susceptible to missing it a little bit. Can I put it that way? And so Paul's encouraging them, don't despise these things. But at the same time, he's telling them, test them. Examine them. Look at them closely and make sure that you hold on to the good part and you cast away the part that's not good, okay? And so we're to examine those things which are being taught. We're not just to take it hook, line, and sinker because the person who's speaking is, you know, is famous or, or infamous, or, which mean the same thing, really. And, um, you know, I mean, and, and he says, you know, I remember the time when people would bring their Bibles to church, and, and when they'd flip a scripture, they'd be flipping like that. Now, I was... One of the first ones years and years ago was about putting scriptures on the screen because I said a lot of people don't have a Bible. They don't have it. But in the Bible, the scripture, when you see it, it they hear it, they see it, it's going to make a bigger impression. But at the same time, he says, you need to examine things. So, so let's get started with this, okay? Um, the first thing that I want to say is that when an experience is unconventional or extraordinary, it does not mean 
that it is not from God. Now, remember what I'm saying here, because I'm going to repeat this in a different way in just a minute. In other words, because it's a little outside what you're used to, doesn't mean it's not from God. Okay? Everybody's got me so far? All right? In the Old Testament, God required his prophets to do some very extraordinary things. Right? Isaiah had to walk naked and barefoot for three years. <laughs> that would go over real good, huh? <laughs> Ezekiel was required to lie 390 days on his left side and 40 days on his right side. And then when he got done with that, he had to prepare his food on a fire of cow dung. Oh, that, I'm a barbecue guy, but I ain't cooking nothing on no cow manure. You know, right? I mean, in the Gospels, go to the New Testament. Jesus himself healed a deaf mute by spitting and touching his tongue. And then in another place, Jesus heals a blind man by making clay out of his own spit and then smearing it in the guy's eyes. You get sued today for doing something like that, right? I mean, really. In the book of Acts, there were so many things that took place in the early church that we would consider today highly unconventional in the modern-day church, okay? So it's appropriate, therefore, to approach unusual things or manifestations or whatever with caution, uh, but not with blank negative skepticism. You know, in other words, we see something that, we've never seen before something that just seems out out way out of the ordinary whatever and we, we it's easy to go oh no that ain't god but if you look at the things that were in the bible you would say that's not god either i mean in fact they accused jesus of being demon possessed for the things that he was doing so whenever the church begins to move in the realm of the supernatural it opens up exciting possibilities of ministry and, 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 and testimony and everything else. But at the same time, how I many you know there's always a flip side to everything? At the same time, it opens up the potential for abuse or danger. And I say danger, not danger like somebody's going to kill you danger, but getting buying into something that's wrong, wrong teaching, wrong understanding, whatever. Uh, but we can't, we can't again, we got to go back to what Paul said, examine everything closely, keep the good stuff, spit out the bones, you know? And so the Bible clearly indicates and church history indicates and confirms that Satan is fully at home in the supernatural realm. Okay, this, this is the thing. We say we believe in God. God is supernatural. We say we believe we're born again by the Spirit of God. And our spirits are supernatural in that they will never die, right? The flesh may drop, but the spirit continues to live. Uh, and so the enemy that we have is supernatural, but he's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not God. Uh, but he, he loves to set traps 
are snares for Christians who begin to move into the things of God and don't, they're not held accountable, they're not, they're not spiritually uh, grounded in the word, and that's the point I want to make is that um, we, we need to understand that, and here's the statement that I said earlier, so I'm going to rephrase it. When an experience is unconventional or extraordinary, it does not mean that it is from God. Did you get that? So the first side is that just because it doesn't fit your box doesn't mean it's not God. Okay? I mean, I've seen some very strange things in my lifetime serving the Lord. I mean, if I told you them, you'd think I was making them up. I mean, very strange things. But God was in it, okay? But the other extreme is that whenever somebody sees something that's extraordinary or supernatural, whatever, they immediately go, that's God. No, the devil can do things. And, and to, to, in fact, the Bible says in the last days, he will perform wonders in the sun, the sky, to deceive the very elect. So we have to understand that just because it's unusual, unconventional, whatever, doesn't mean it's not God, but at the same time, it doesn't mean it is God. Again, it goes back to that, examine everything carefully, hold on to the good, and cast aside that which isn't any good. Okay, and, and that's, again, that's what the scripture is. Test all things. There's another version, uh, translation says, test all things. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. The second thing is we need to apply appropriate tests because the scripture says examine it and then keep and cast aside. Well, if you're going to examine something, you have to have the appropriate test or appropriate guidelines or appropriate whatever it is that you're testing it by, right? I mean, if you send, for example, uh, I sent off blood work a week or so ago. The doctor had ordered, my eye doctor had ordered some blood work for something to check on something. So I had to tell them when I went in what the orders were or for what kind of blood work. I mean, I just didn't go in and say, well, I'm supposed to give blood and they draw the blood but not know what kind of test to run. And so they had to know that it was for a certain type of thing. And they ran three different tests on that vial of blood. So if we're going to test the things that God, we see happening, that we have to have the parameters and the guidelines and everything by which to do that. Um, there's, um, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, he, he wrote to the believers there and he said, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Remember when we were talking about the four levels of spiritual growth, we talked about the fact that the, probably the majority of people in the American church never get past level two. They're at the baby or toddler stage. And... Um, and Paul even mentioned, he said, when I came to you, I, would want, I wanted to give you meat. He said, but you're still on milk. I couldn't even give you anything solid. And so he, he writes here, he says, but solid food is for the mature 
who, are con- who, who by constant use have trained themselves, notice it says train, trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So if we're going to um, have these tests, if we're going to be able to examine things, there's two things we need to remember. First one is that, we need, that, that it's not like a one-day-off kind of thing. It's not like a one-off kind of thing. We, we're continually, if I could say, practicing discernment every day. Because what did the scriptures say? Solid food is for the mature who, have, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The solid food of God's word. There's the, the old saying that practice makes perfect. No, it doesn't. Because if, if the, what you're practicing is wrong, then all it makes is perfect wrong. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's proper practice makes perfect. Doing it right. You know, if it's that old thing, I've always done it this way. Why? I don't know. You know, but my family's always done it this way. That doesn't make it right. And so it applies in the spiritual realm as, as, as well. Discernment must become a part of our spiritual walk as, as much as church attendance, prayer, reading the scripture, whatever. It should just start to become natural. As we, we walk in it, we're discerning. We don't walk through things blindly and then get hit with something and then go, oh, I need to, per- I need to discern what that's about. I mean, it, it's something that we develop so that as you're going about your daily life, somebody will say something, do something, whatever, and you're going to pick up on something that something's there, that something's wrong, something's not right, something is right, whatever, okay? Um, the second thing is we must cultivate a diet of solid spiritual food. And um, um, a few simple little verses of scripture a week is not enough. You've got to build a solid foundation on the central doctrines of the Christian faith. The basic fundamentals of what we believe and how it works and, and all of that, we, we must understand that. Uh, otherwise, we just believe anything that comes along. And the Bible says that we're to mature uh, so that we're not tossed to and fro like on, on, on the ocean. And he said we're to grow up. And so we must learn to apply the word of God to various situations. And uh, there's been times I've heard things said and immediately I go, that's not right. I'm, it's not my predisposition to something. It's, I know what the word of God says concerning that. And this is not right. And, um, and immediately my little red flag goes up, you know. Um, being a Christian is a full-time job. It's, it's not a Sunday-only kind of thing. And so one of the critical areas... Uh, for discernment is the division between that which is spiritual and that which is soulish, okay? For um, many English readers, the reality of this division is hard to understand in the inconsistencies in the translation. When we 
A lot of times when we hear soul, we immediately think spirit, but the soul and the spirit are separate. Uh, they're different, and they have different capacities. Um, the, the Greek word for the word spiritual comes from the root word spirit, okay? Um, the Greek word for the uh, root word of soulish um, comes from uh, the, the word sukos, which is directly from the word soul, the, the, oh, the psyche, okay? Um, there's a lot of other words that are used in, in the Bible in translation. They'll say natural understanding. It may say carnal understanding. It may say worldly. It may say sensual. And all those words kind of carry different ideas with it. But it is of the soulish realm. And the problem is that a lot of times these different translations give different um, impressions when we read them. Uh, but we need to understand that what we're talking about is the difference between the spirit and the soul. Or the spiritual part of us, the spirit part of us, and the soul part of us. The, and the soul has a soulish um, characteristic to it. Uh, the spirit has a spiritual characteristic to it, okay? Um, let, let me give you a couple examples. The idea of the soulish realm is a New Testament concept. In the Old Testament, when they thought about the soul, they thought about the spirit of man, um, you know, would be one day be resurrected with the body. Um, so, but the idea of the soulish realm, the soulish activity characteristics is a New Testament concept. And the soulish and the spiritual are often in conflict with one another. Let me, let me just give you an example of something that happened probably about 15 years ago. And, and um, it's far enough back that I don't think anybody here would know about it. So, because uh, I'm not going to use names or anything because the people are still around. But this happened in Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, many years ago. Um, at a large crusade with the international televangelist, okay, um, from America. Um, they were in the Coca-Cola Dome, and, and uh, to hear this message of healing and miracles and all this kind of stuff. And one of the American pastors on staff with that large ministry um, was tapped to speak to the people before the main evangelist came out. And he got up and spoke about financial burdens. And he said 500 audience members were to receive, quote, an exceptional blessing, unquote. And he said the service would yield millionaires and billionaires within 24 hours. This is true. But those that were going to get this exceptional blessing had to donate $1,000 because an exceptional blessing rested on the $1,000. And he said, quote, this blessing will be poured out for only two minutes, unquote. People stormed the front. Poor people, rich people, people from every uh, section of society, 
and the ministry's co-pastors, they had many of them all staffed there, were already set up with credit card machines. And they were swiping those credit cards as fast as they could, take $1,000, $1,000, and they told the people that God would bless, this is the quote, God would bless the people's credit cards and they would be able to rule over South Africa with their money, unquote. I'm, I'm telling you, this is true. I can't make this up. Eventually, 1,000 people made the $1,000 donation. And then after that, the televangelists took up regular donations of all the people, the 18, 20,000 people that were there. Now, before I go on, to which area did that doctrine appeal? Spiritual or soulish? Right. Well, there was a pastor there of a large church in Johannesburg who was so, let's just say, upset by what was said and what he saw about this blessing that after a week he contacted the ministry and demanded to know which donors had become millionaires during that week. And the pastor stated, and this was what he said, quote, when there is dire need, people run the risk of losing their faith in the Lord in this way. God will provide for your needs, but not for your greeds, unquote. The ministry of that televangelist said they would get back to that pastor with the information he requested. He has yet to ever hear from them. Now, what does that do to the reputation of the church in a nation? It destroys. And so all these people who rush to believe, they bought, they bought into a lie. Now, if you had been there and heard that, would you have bought into it? No, because you would have known better, right? But when you don't know and you're, you, you believe what the person says and you don't have the discernment to understand that this is not biblical, then you, you fall for it. And then the fallout from that is astronomical. It's like drop, dropping a rock in a pond and the ripples just keep going because they go back and tell. Now they're stuck with that $1,000 on their credit card, many of them who couldn't pay it, and they're paying it off with interest now, and it's growing and growing and growing and growing. Again, that doctrine, that teaching appealed to the soulless realm. The soul is the area in which man's natural reason and emotions function. A lot of times when we read in the scripture, it, we, we read it as the heart. That's why the scripture says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the very issues of life. Um, it's, it's quite different from the way that a, man's, a person's regenerated spirit is designed to function. The soul tries to reason things. The soul tries, is, is selfish. Uh, the, the, the Bible says, who can know uh, the heart of man? <laughs> it, is, it is deceitful and wicked in all his ways. 
That's the soul. The soul is the mind and the will and the emotions. How many of you have ever let your emotions get the best of you? We all have, okay? How many of you have reasoned that this was a good deal, only later to find out it was a bum deal, right? I mean, you know, it's just the way it is. And, and so just think about that in the natural realm. Um, and that's why what people say to me, says, well, I don't have to pray about everything. I said, well, the Bible says pray about everything. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't... And I'm sorry, I'm past the point where I don't go, I've told you the story about me praying for a parking place, you know, but I don't pray for a parking place, I just, I just like God, anywhere I can find is good, you know, that's all right, I don't pray for the one right in front of the front door, and I'm not going to lose my salvation if I don't get it, you know, I mean, when I was a baby Christian, yeah, I was bummed out about that, but I mean, but the Bible says pray about everything. And the reason we end up praying so many times about problems is because we made decisions without praying. When uh, my wife and I, when we used to work, work for Norval Hayes, and we worked on the college campuses all over the country, about 35 states a year, twice a year we would go. And um, he had a rule for his team. He said, we were not allowed to go out for the day and do anything until we had prayed in tongues, prayed in the spirit for a minimum of 30 minutes every day. Minimum. That was required. Now, of course, he wasn't there to check up on us. But I'll tell you what, the one or two times that we were in a hurry running late and we didn't do it, man, things did not go well. And, you know, when we did every other day when we did, you know, God gave favor. But there were times that, you know... I remember one time, I don't know how to explain this to you, we were in Colorado, I remember this now as like it was yesterday, and my wife and I were walking down the street, and we were about to cross the road, and um, uh, just, you know, it's just a regular street, we're going to go from this side to the, the one corner to the other corner, and all of a sudden, I saw a truck coming whipping around in my mind in my spirit I saw a truck coming whipping around and plowing us down and I grabbed her and pulled her back and yelled Jesus and in that moment here comes a truck right around the corner and what killed us and um, somebody said oh that's deja vu no that's Holy Ghost that's praying in tongues every morning and the Holy Spirit's quickened you and made you I believe that I believe that with all my heart and um, uh, the, the thing is that between the, the contrast between the spirit and the soul is so stark at times, uh, we need to see it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look what it says. But the natural man, this is the, the word used here for soulish man, does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. So the soulish man cannot discern spiritual things. That's why a lot of churches end up in problems because they got full of soulish people trying to exert their will, their agendas, whatever, and, and fighting against the move of Holy Spirit. 
And then it goes on and says, but he who is spiritual judges all things. So he says the soulish person can't understand spiritual things, can't discern them at all. They're foolishness to them. He said, because they're spiritually discerned. Notice that. Let me go back to it again. They're spiritually discerned. They're not naturally discerned. They're spiritually discerned. It's not something like you're built with a natural sense. You may have a certain degree of that, of, of picking up on reading people and stuff, but we're talking about spiritual discernment. And he says, but he who is spiritual judges all things. So the conclusion is really clear. Both the spiritual and the soulish people are found among the people of God. Okay? There are Christians who are spiritual, more spiritual than soulish, and there are more, some Christians, a lot of Christians that are more soulish than spiritual. Okay? And the spiritual person is at home in the things of the Holy Spirit, and he respond, they respond appropriately to the Holy Spirit. And, and that's where we all want to be. We want to grow to that place that we can spiritually discern things, where we can sense what God is saying. We can hear the voice of the Lord. I think of uh, Peter and John and the book of Acts, and it says they were headed to, to, to the pray in the temple. They were going to pray. It was the time that they, they naturally just went to prayer. And then it says there was the man begging for alms. Remember that? By the gate beautiful. And, and, and Peter stops and John stopped, but Peter stops and turns to the man. Now the, the thing that's interesting is this was their regular routine. And we're already told this was this man's regular routine that he was begging for alms every day. So Peter and John had passed him many times. In fact, I would venture to say Jesus passed them too. Which just shows me God has a time. So when you get frustrated and go, God, why not now? But look what happened. It was the beginning of the church. And Peter looks to the man, and the man's looking for alms. He's looking for coins. And Peter says, silver and gold I don't have. Well, I can imagine the man's look. Why are you stopping and looking at me? You know, I'm looking for money. And he says, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. The man stood up, and Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, who's a physician, says, and the, his ankle bones straightened out, and the bones became straight firm, strong. And the man went walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. Revival. Immediately. You say, well, why, did, why didn't it happen before? God had a time. But Peter and John were able to discern the voice of the Lord that something was different on this day. And that's why I said we have to discern and grow in discerning the voice of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, the nudge of the Spirit of God, because we want to be used that way. We want to be used in a way for God's kingdom, for God's glory. So there are spiritual people in the church. There are soulish people within the church. The soulish person cannot 
apprehend the things of the Holy Spirit. And so they react to the things of the Spirit by distorting them and then putting them down. You know? They just, that's crazy. That's the devil. That's whatever, you know? I mean, I mean, I remember in the early days of the charismatic move when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues and, and um, I heard somebody say that speaking in tongues is of the devil. And I remember thinking as a teenager, I've served him for 15 plus years. He never let me pray in tongues. You know, I'm like, I wasn't real smart, but I had, I had that figured out. You know, he never let me pray in tongues. You know, so it's not of the devil. But uh, my wife was brought up in a church where almost every week they, pre they preached against speaking in tongues. So I went with her one Sunday to her church because she told me that. I mean, when we were dating, you know, and I said, I got to hear this for myself. And that preacher changed the subject. He preached on the evils of bubblegum. He really did. And, and I told him, I said, I thought he preached on tongues. And he said, he preached on bubblegum that day, chewing gum. And, um, and the, but the next week when I didn't go, he preached on, against tongues. I said, that's crazy. I said, that is a soulish person who does not discern the things of the Spirit. Um, the only instrument that is sharp enough to distinguish between the spiritual and the soul is the Word of God. And Hebrews chapter 4 and 12, we know it. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division, look at this, of soul and spirit. It separates the two. It doesn't mean we're, we're, we're dual personality. It just means it pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The heart is the part that deceives us. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I just follow my heart. I said, look out heartache. It's coming. I mean, you follow your heart, man, you're going to end up, who knows where you're going to be at because your heart will lead you down the wrong path. And it says here that it's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the very heart. So, God calls us to grow and mature that we might discern truth from error and that we might help others. That's the other part of it. It's not just about us not being deceived. It's not about us not being fallen for a, a, a trap, but it's helping others that we see who are listening to a Pied Piper somewhere else who's singing a different song or preaching a different gospel. Paul even said that to the church of Galatia. He said, who has bewitched you that you've, you've, you've gone after a different gospel other than the one that I preached? He said, even if an angel comes to you and preaches a different gospel, it's not God. And, um, and we have that happening today. I'm telling you, it's happening all over uh, in churches all over the world, but especially in the Western church. They're so, here's the thing. We've thrown God out and, and, the, and the reality of the work of the Spirit so that the church is dry and dead. 
So somebody comes along with a spirit that is not of God and yet can still bring manifestation and people fall for it because they think that's got to be God. And I said, it's just not so. Um, it's just not so. So let me close with this statement. Correct discernment is possible only for Christians who become mature through regular feeding of solid wood, food of Scripture. And the failure to distinguish between the spiritual and the soulish can have disastrous consequences. Okay? Questions or comments? We go throw it open. Come on. Brother Andrew. Yeah, yeah. That, well, it's their bias. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's, it, it's got to fit their box. So, yeah, you could say that. But if, if you are taking the scripture as it is and not putting on your glasses that say, Spirit of God doesn't move that way, Spirit of God doesn't move that way, then you would see it as it is. But yeah, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't, I, w I wouldn't fight that, you know. But, it, but the other side of that is, then you have that group that they go, well, I know what the Spirit told me. And it's opposite of what the Scripture says, you know. So, but, but I wouldn't argue with that, you know, because, but the thing is, if we, if we take it and read it and accept it for exactly what it says, then Holy Spirit has his way. Because it says, despise not the move of the Spirit, despise not prophetic utterances, despise not those things, but examine closely that which is going on. So that's why, you know, I, I think it, it's, it's, you know, my emphasis is probably more on the Word because it. It says, don't despise the moving of the Holy Spirit. Don't despise the working of the Spirit. Don't, despise, don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. I mean, how many times have we told that throughout the Scripture? Don't do that. So the fact that he says, don't do it, means you can do it. <laughs> and, uh, but if we have a, a solid basis in this word, then we're not going to quench the spirit. We're not going to grieve him. We're not going to shut him down. We're not, I, I, I'll give you an example. Several years and years ago, um, my mentor, um, who's gone to be with the Lord now, he, he started five churches in his lifetime. And um, back in the day when there was no such thing as a mega church, he had, he started a church in uh, West Memphis area that ran over a thousand people back when most churches didn't run a hundred. And um, after he left, the guy that came in was supposed to be a spirit-filled pastor. He was from the same denomination or fellowship and everything. But as the church gained notoriety, all of a sudden the wealthy started coming. 
and people of influence started coming. And the church grew. They built another building, you know, and they're now running 1,400, 1,500, and, and all of that. And suddenly, the pastor passes rules. There'll be no messages in tongues or interpretation or prophecies in the sanctuary. If you have a message in tongues, write it down on paper, hand it to an usher, they will take it in the other room and the pastor will see it after church. There'll be no, any exhibiting manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit in the sanctuary because he didn't want to offend those who had started coming with the big pocketbook. And so the church went from being a strong, full gospel, Pentecostal, spirit-filled church to a dead, dry church. And because they shut down the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, if they just read the Bible, it says, don't grieve the Spirit of God. Now, that doesn't mean that the Spirit's not, for example, the Bible says the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the, you know, the, so it doesn't mean we're wild and we can just interrupt whatever, as I've seen happen before, you know, um, that, but that there can be order in that, but not disorder that we cast Holy Spirit out. And um, so it's just, you know, it just grieves my heart, I mean, to see where we, we say, this is the way it's going to be. In fact, I had a guy just, just tell me uh, earlier today, he said they were at a, he was at a church down in Florida, and he was trying to find some place to worship, and they were told him this was the great place to go, and they went, and there's like 700 and something, 5,800 people there, but there's no minister. It's being piped in on a big screen from a main campus someplace else, and, and he said you could tell everything was timed. The worship team was timed to the second, the transition was timed down to the very minute because that had to, everything had to be done and out of the way for when the screen lit up with the pastor on there from someplace else. And um, he was like, how does the Holy Spirit move? You know? And I'm not trying to find fault, believe me. I'm not pointing fingers. But I can't help but think Holy Spirit's grieved in that kind of atmosphere where we say, this is the way it's done. And, um, but maybe that's just me, you know. But anyway, Andrew, I hope that sits. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. We need to move with the Holy Spirit, but he's not going to be contrary to the word either. So, yeah. Anybody else? Comment, thoughts, anything. I want this to be a learning time for us, you know, so if you have questions or thoughts or ideas or whatever, don't be afraid to ask. Okay. Sure. Um, while she was at our house, she had made the statement that 
whenever I was on Facebook, it was always encouraging, you know, like spiritualized. And I, you have to pick on who, you know, like be careful right. what you allow on your Facebook. Right. But as I was sitting here thinking about it, I uh, think, well, you know, maybe that's where God has her, where she's pulling back from Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, you know. Yeah. I mean, anything good can be used for bad. Right. Right? I mean, um, and what does the scripture say, though? But that which the enemy meant for evil, God can turn it for good. You know, so the enemy's going to try and take the good and turn it for evil, you know. And we have to have discernment about that. Look, if, if you... If, if you suddenly come to the recognition that you're wasting hours of time on social media, then maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you to cut it off. Right. You know, I mean, somebody would say, well, not totally. And I said, but Jesus said, if your right eye offends, you pluck it out. If your right hand offends, you cut it off. I mean, so for some people, it's that drastic, right. you know, so, yeah. And that's good. Yeah, that's fine. You know, anybody else? Oh, praise God. Um, let's just pray tonight. I, I, I just, uh, yes. Okay. Okay, yeah, that will definitely cause a blockage. Seven and a half inch cent millimeters. Whew. That's a big stone. Yeah, let's pray for them right now. And pray for. Let's pray for them right now. Hallelujah, Father, we just lift Sam to you right now. You know his situation, God. We just pray against that stone, pulverize it right now, break it into pieces, Lord. Break it up. Break it up right now into pieces because that's all the, the, the doctor's going to try and do with sound waves and other things, Lord. But God, you can break it up right now that he can pass that stone right now. Let it be gone in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that his body will not shut down. His kidneys will function properly. God, there will be no danger. His life is secure in your hands. God, this hasn't caught you by surprise hasn't caught you off guard. God, we speak healing right now and restorative health to his body in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And Father, tonight we just pray for the church. We pray for our church, our fellowship, our local congregation. God, we desire the move of your spirit, not just led by one person or two people, but by the body functioning as you've determined it to function. For you have bestowed gifts upon those that, God, you can trust. And, God, it's time for the church 
to learn to function as one body together. You are the head. You are the head. And you set your people where you want them. And with the gifts and the callings upon their life that you have specifically laid out that they might be beneficial to the local gathering of saints. And God, we pray for the churches of Acadiana, that God, there would be such a spiritual awakening. I know churches of pastors who have said that they've just, they have it set in stone how they're going to operate. But God, I have a feeling that you can absolutely turn that stone upside down because there's people in their congregations who are starving for the genuine move of God. We pray that you would move mightily in churches. We pray that you would move mightily in home groups. We pray that you would move mightily even in a coffee shop. When people gather together, two or three gather together, and God, with the purpose of fellowshipping together, that God, you can move mightily there, that the Spirit can speak maybe to about a person sitting at a table next to you and, and, and give us insight and wisdom, and next thing you know, your people are praying for them, and God, you're revealing yourself to them. That is the body of Christ at work. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would keenly, finely tune our discernment, our spiritual discernment, Lord God. That, Father, we not be quick to call things as we perceive them to be. If we have question, let us do as your word says and judge it by your word, carefully investigating it, Lord, prayerfully seeking your face about it, and then judge it as it is. God forbid that we should call something, God, that you're doing a work of the devil. And Father, I pray for pastors who stand in pulpits and preach against the work of Holy Spirit in this day and age. God, I pray that a Pentecost experience explode right in their congregation. We're just like Peter, he was speaking in Cornelius' house, and in the middle of his sermon, they began speaking in tongues by the power of the Holy Spirit as he gave unction. And when the church called Peter down about it, he said, Who is I to deny these people as they were speaking and filled just as we were? God, you're able to do that then for Peter. You're able to do it right here in Acadiana. You're able to do it right in the middle of a church service that God, the Spirit of God would be poured out upon those who are hungry, desperate for a move of the Spirit Holy Ghost, 
Let us despise not the move of the Spirit. Let us quench not the Spirit. Let us not grieve the Spirit. Let us learn to hold fast to that which is good and release that which is not. The church in and of itself is not perfect. The only part of it that is is the head, Jesus Christ. But we are growing into that perfection. We are growing into the, the perfection of Christ, the image of Christ, the heart of Christ. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ, the scripture says. Let this thinking, this pattern, this, this understanding be in the heart of your people, Lord God. Let us learn to be patient with one another when we see those who are younger in the things of God begin to step out let us not criticize or besmirk them Lord Let's, let, let us encourage them in the things of God and God remind us that your word says that if there if any has sinned, any has done wrong, then those who are spiritual are to go and restore. God, let us go with compassion, recognizing, God, that someone somewhere along the line did the same for us. When we stepped out of line, when we did what was wrong, God, they came with love and compassion, and they corrected us not to put down, not to destroy, but to set them on the right path. God, we pray for a move of your spirit. Move of your spirit. Holy Ghost, move. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Holy Ghost. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we pray for those who are dealing with the devastation of the storm. That has crossed Florida into Georgia and up the East Coast. Hearts are broken. People feel like the end is. There's no hope for tomorrow, God. I pray that your church, your people, with the hope for all eternity, would show up and minister to those that are in need. We pray for the rescue workers. We pray for the first responders. We pray for those, Lord God, who are out trying to help those in need. We pray for them, Lord. Protect them. Give them the encouragement to keep going on. And let the church be a light in this time of darkness for so many people. We just pray that too in the name of Jesus. 
Anybody else have anything you want to lead in prayer about tonight? Anyone? Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Well, amen. Amen, amen. I hear some kids out in the hall.